Good morning, everyone. Hey, thank you so much for joining us from wherever you are. Maybe you're in your living room today, or maybe you're at one of the watch parties that we started today. Thank you so much, and we're all together here virtually, but I know that for many here in 2020 and on June 21st, our hearts and our minds are in totally different places how we're processing the events of what's happening in our world and all those things, our hearts are in totally different places. And 2020 has been a really unique but a difficult year. Just the global pandemic and the financial difficulties and around that I know people that have health problems, whether it's connected to the pandemic or not. I also know some people who have passed away Uh, I think about my aunt, my my great aunt who actually helped raise my sister and I. She passed away at the beginning of the stay-at-home order. And it's been super weird because we were really close to her. She helped to raise us. She was loved by our family on the Rubelid side of the family. She's like one of the matriarchs of our family. Very loved. My parents are divorced. My mom isn't even uh, a relative of hers by blood. And my mom was still even close to her. She was loved. And it was really hard because nobody was allowed at her burial burial ceremony. It's just been a really weird year. And we just, we turn on the news and we hear all the stories of everything. I mean, murder hornets and all, all those sort of just crazy things and acts of violence and acts of racism. It just feels like one thing is just piled on the next, piled on the next, and piled on the next. And it's really changed our expectations of 2020. I remember at the end of the year, you know, New Year's was coming, we're like, yeah, 2020 is going to be the year. There's just been one thing and one thing, and it just keeps happening. Maybe you wake up in the morning, you're like, okay, what's next now? The word that I would use to describe kind of what we're feeling and experiencing is chaos. There's chaos around us. But for some of us who struggle with fear and anxiety, the the chaos seems like at times is in us as well. And today we're starting off a series on Genesis and it's going to go over the next couple weeks. And maybe as you hear that, you think to yourself, and this is a question that we're going to kind of address and dig into today. What does an ancient text, like a real ancient text, like I'm talking old, ancient, ancient, thousands of years of old that says some like weird things that are hard to understand. How can an ancient text like that speak to us in our unique chaos of today in 2020? And I believe that it does. And we're going to dig into that today. So will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, we are going to look at your character that starts on page one of our Bibles. And we're going to be encouraged by it, I believe. So God, I pray that you open our hearts. I pray that you reveal to us who you are in ways that allow us to trust you in new ways. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So, you here today that we are doing a series on the book of Genesis. And maybe there's some things that come to your mind, some images, some thoughts, some feelings. Maybe you think of the Michelangelo painting up on top of the Sistine Chapel. 
the creation of Adam, a beautiful work of art. Maybe you think of the perceived tension between the faith community and the science community. And within that, maybe you think of the tension and the arguments and the debates between the evolutionists and the theories around evolutionists and the biblical creationists. And maybe you think about some of the challenges of like, are there any proof? Is there any proof for a changing of the kinds? Or maybe the arguments that you've heard in Genesis 1 around what a day, the word day actually means. Maybe you think about the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah and kind of like the weird judgment, wrath of God stuff. For me, I think about picture books as a child. I had those picture books that always had Noah or Adam and Eve or Joseph in the coat of many colors to teach kids Bible stories. Maybe you're a skeptic of the faith and you just think when you hear all these things that are in Genesis, you just think they're fables and they're myth and they're folklore and they're untrue. Maybe you read the Bible every year through a Bible through the year plan and you just know that when you start, Genesis is the first thing that you read. And maybe you think that it's hard to understand. And if you're a Christ follower, maybe you think, man, I want to sit on the things that are about Jesus and that talk about Jesus and refer to Jesus and maybe even have Jesus, some of the things that he say, says in it. And you think to yourself, man, this stuff feels kind of disconnected. It's, it's weird, so you view it as less important. Well, today I'm going to give just a really brief, as we dig into a really brief overview of Genesis. Not going to dig super deep, but I, I want us to understand what Genesis is and some concepts as we continue on in the next weeks of how to read it. First off, Genesis, the word Genesis, it's not just a band that Phil Collins was in. It, 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 it means in the beginning. So our Bibles, the very beginning part of Genesis actually starts with the phrase, in the beginning God created. So the first phrase of our Bibles and the first phrase of Genesis actually defines what Genesis means. And then most people attribute the writing to Moses. Some people believe that Moses wrote it, but then it was edited over time. And then others, there, there's a certain perspective believe that Genesis was actually put together and compiled in Babylon later and Moses was one of the main contributors. Those are some of the views of who wrote it possibly. And I want to say this just really quickly and I'm only going to say this here. I, I bet some of you hear that I'm teaching on Genesis and specifically today we're going to look at creation and you think to yourself you're like yes. <laughs> He's going to talk about evolution, and we're going to get in all the debates around the details about all that stuff and into science, and I'm going to just say to you, and I'm sorry, I'm really not. As a matter of fact, um, uh, that's not the point that I feel God wants me to draw out today, but I do want to make one statement for us as we look at how to read Genesis, and the statement is this. We're here in 2020 in America. And here in the time that America has existed, we lived through multiple eras of thought. So the 1700s, you have what's called the Age of Enlightenment. And then on the heels of that, you have the modern era. And on the heels of that, you have the postmodern era. And through all these eras of thought that America has kind of lived through, there have been some amazing scientific findings. I mean, because of that, we have modern medicine to save lives. 
Because of that, we have light bulbs and electricity in our houses. Because of that, we've put people on the moon and we've explored outer space. There have been amazing scientific findings, but we, if we're not careful, could look at Genesis and think the purpose of it being written is to speak to the things of modern science in the last 300 years. And in all reality, that's not why it was written and that's not when it was written. So what we need to do both with Genesis and oftentimes other parts of the Bible is come to the understanding that it was not written specifically to us. It wasn't written specifically to me in 2020. Though it is for us, it's inspired word of God for us as we draw out from it, but it is not written to me. It's actually written to a group of people thousands of years ago for a specific purpose. So if we're gonna understand or do the best we can to understand what it's saying, we have to do the best we can to understand what was happening in that time, what the context was, what was happening with civilization in that time. And I believe that the creation account specifically is challenging ideas of creation that existed in the civilizations of a past time of thousands of years ago. Let me give you two examples. One, there was a false god by the name of Baal. And in the Old Testament, you see the Israelites basically fighting and dealing with some of the remnants of the Canaanite beliefs of Baal. And one of the ideas of creation that came from Baal was that Baal, this, this god, that they believed fought against the waters. So you see waters are fought against the waters and that's how creation started. Then the other one I wanna point out to you is Babylon. Babylon was like the big bad civilization, the big bad empire that we see embodied in scripture and later on in scripture referred back to. And this is why this is important because there's bits of Babylon civilization that actually start popping up in Genesis. We see bits of that in Genesis. And Babylon had a creation account. And this is how Babylon's creation account went. A really brief overview of it is that you have salt water and fresh water. And those two, when they came together, they believed that it created gods. And those gods then had another generation of gods. And this epic battle ensued. And one of the gods by the name of Marduk took it on and he won the battle. And in that battle, then it was through the killing of a God that he separated the earth and created sky and land. And then they also end their creation account with the creation of humans. They believe that it was the bones of the dead gods in the battle that they used to create humans. And so here's what's happening, I believe. I believe that our scripture and the scripture that, that God's people, the Israelites had, were to challenge the views of God and the views of creation of these other civilizations to show the power and might of our God. Here's how that may have looked. First of all, imagine how powerful this would be if, if God's people at that time were to say, hey, your God needed violence to create the world, but our God is so powerful, all he had to do is speak, let there be. Also in that time period, there was a view of good and evil and a view of the spiritual world where they believed that in order for good to exist, evil had to exist as well. You couldn't have good without evil. And I believe that our scriptures challenges that thought of that time 
It starts off, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created what? God created the heavens and the earth. What is not there? It doesn't say God created heaven and hell. So imagine this in that same sort of conversation that God's people walk into civilization and they're talking about their God and they're saying, hey, your God needed evil to exist, but our God is so good and so powerful that he just exists in his goodness and always has. That is a powerful message. So we're going to dig in now to Genesis 1. And I believe that God is going to speak to us through this. Genesis 1, starting in verse 1 and going to verse 2, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and void. Darkness ruled over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the water. I'm going to break that down just a little bit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about that and why that's important. Now, the earth was formless and void. The word there, formless and void, it's a Hebrew word, tohu va bohu, formless and void. It also sometimes translates as wilderness or wasteland where like nothing can live, kind of like the drive from here to LA, where you're just like nothing upon nothing. But it also translates what we're talking about this morning as chaos. And in this context, the chaos is watery chaos. So imagine God creates the heavens and the earth, and the earth is just this is a formless, watery thing. It's chaos. It has no order to it at all. Now, he's about ready to order it. We're going to see that he moves it into order as he orders creation. But before that happens, it's absolute chaos, formless chaos. And here's the truth that we see about God. It says that the Spirit of God hovers over the chaos. He hovers over the water. The Spirit of God is present in the chaos. I believe that many of us may need to hear this and sit on this today. I just think about what the psalmist says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. so hard in the midst of chaos, in the midst of when one thing just is going wrong and the next thing's going wrong and the next thing is going wrong and then we turn on the news and there's more stuff in our world going wrong, just being like, God, where are you? I don't, I don't see you. I don't see what you're doing. Where are you? And yes, we could get to singing the songs about who brings our chaos into order, We could sing the songs about making beautiful things out of the dust and that he's making all things new. But if we don't see that happening, we ask God, where are you? This has been a struggle in my life. I was abused multiple times at a young age in multiple different ways as a kid. And the hard thing that really binds everything up tight in it and is really hard to unwind was that it was in the context of a church by church leaders. And so for me, it's all sorts of messed up in my head where I, 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 I can look back and be like, God, where were you in the midst of that moment of chaos? 
And so it makes it hard in moments of chaos and whatever is going on in our world for me to be like, God, I know you're here because that's one of my biggest struggles. So how cool is it that in the first two verses, on the first page of our Bible, we see the character of God right here saying, I'm in the midst of the chaos. I am present in the chaos. The spirit of God hovers over the chaos. He is present. Yes, the intention is to move it into order, but he has not stepped back. He is here. I think about the story in Mark 4 where Jesus is on a boat with his disciples and the water is shaking and the storms come. The water is chaos and Jesus is just asleep. He's not worried, but his disciples are just freaking out and he stands up in the boat and by his words, he speaks it into order and says, peace be still. And he turns to his disciples and he says, why are you afraid? It's that same character of God we see in Jesus that we see here in scripture. We flip back to the end of the Bible. We're going to see it too when Christ returns and sets up all things, makes all things right. It says that there will no longer be any sea. There will no longer be any chaos. That is where God is moving our world. And so it's helpful now for us to look back on a text and see, hey, before there was any movement and there was chaos, God's spirit was still present in the chaos. Going back to Genesis 1, you have Genesis 1 and 2, and then in verse 3, that's when we start seeing God moving the chaos into order as he orders creation. And it's, we're going to now see that over the next seven days, there's a process where he does this as he creates order out of the chaos. And what I, want to find what I want to show to you that I found fascinating, and, and I'm not going to dig deep into this, but you could look into this yourself if you'd like to, is that in ancient times when a temple was constructed and built, or it was consecrated, so a temple was a place where they believed a deity would dwell, they built this space for a deity to dwell, it would be a seven-day process for this temple to be built and or consecrated. So here's what this is saying and the reason why it's seven days. It's because it's a process in which God is ordering creation for his glory to dwell. And we're going to see multiple ways in which creation allows for his glory to dwell. In the first couple days, he separates different domains, and so he creates time. And you see the sky and the land and the water, these domains. And then over the next couple days after that, he, he creates creatures to inhabit these domains. And then lastly, he creates humans. Genesis 1, so God created humankind in his image. This is verse 27. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So what this tells us is that there is uniqueness to humanity because we as humans are made in the image of God, in the image of God. Let me pause here. This is kingdom language. I mean, like the same type of kingdom language that Jesus used. 
Here's why this is important, because the image of God, or the image, let me say this, the image of a king, or, or an emperor, or some sovereign entity, that their image was put on statues all over the kingdom, so that the glory of the king would be reflected through the kingdom. This is why, and partially why, we are created. This is kingdom language. And so then carrying on into verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Again, this is a kingdom idea so that the glory of the king goes out and multiplies then throughout the kingdom. Again, I'm, I'm gonna tie this to Jesus. This is why Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. It's so that the glory of the king and his kingdom will multiply throughout the earth. Moving on, he says, fill the earth and subdue it. The word subdue means to bring into bondage. Basically, it's saying, hey, God spoke into existence and then spoke to order created matter, but continue on. Bring that matter into bondage. Create something. Make something out of it. Order it. Participate. This is why I believe we feel so alive and, and we move into moments of serenity when we work in our gardens. This is why we naturally build civilizations. I believe this is why so much of us love taking broken pieces of created material and breaking them down and subduing them by creating colors and paint and painting beautiful pictures. This is why we could take sounds and frequencies and order them to create beautiful music and music that's used to worship God with. This is why we can melt down creative, created elements and create things like steel. And we can create bricks and we can build buildings and houses to live in and work in. This is why we could subdue the waters and channel them through a desert where really nobody should be able to live and be able to live here in a desert valley. It is by us living within how God has wired us to live in the image of God. Yes, living in the image of God means that we move in our creativity, we move in our vocation, we build civilizations, we build culture, but I also believe there's more to it than that. Just like we see the same character of God that's in creation, being present in the chaos and then moving it into order, we see that same character of God throughout scripture and throughout history as one who takes the broken things of humanity in our world and continuing to recreate them, making something out of it, turning all things together for good. Just like God's character we see then continues on, I believe we are now called into that as humans. We're called into that work as well. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are agents of reconciliation. That's why it says that God makes his appeals through us. So we step in as the visible image of God in this world to work within his plan, in his image. This means that in the same image-bearing authority 
that was given to humans at creation, we now can move into our world. We can be present in our world and where there is pain, where there's chaos, where there's violence, where there's oppression, where there's abuse or anything else that sits under that umbrella, we can move in and we can be present. And then we can become the healing, disarming, peaceful image of God as we participate in his work on earth, here and now. So we bear the image of God and we reflect his glory as we bless the world. And it's so easy for us right now. In all the division in our world and then all the isolation and some of the mental health problems that we struggle with because of the isolation and our own pain and maybe even our own opinions where we feel like we always have to be right. It's so easy for whatever reason to then step in the chaos and instead of being the healing mechanism that helps order the chaos, we contribute to it. I mean, I see it every day. All you have to do is go on Facebook or go online. I've been shocked by the people that I have respected who are calling each other's names, taunting each other. We are not called to add to the chaos. To be the image of God in 2020 in our unique moment of chaos is to bring order, hope, and good news into the world. But maybe as you're sitting there, you're thinking to yourself, well, that sounds all good. But maybe you're saying, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling with the reality that in the valley of the, pres- the, valley of the shadow of death, the presence of God is with me. Maybe you're struggling, saying, like, I don't know where God is right now in the midst of chaos. And so if I'm struggling, how can I confidently step in in the midst of chaos and move as the image bearer of God? Maybe you're struggling, saying, I, I'm, I don't even know if God is with me and if he cares because of what I am going through. I was thinking a lot lately about my struggle with the presence of God and really believing certain things about the truth around the presence of God. And yes, I'm a pastor, but I can can tell you that the last year and a half in my life has been really tough. And we moved here in December, and so up until that point, I'll tell you that my family, we, we walked through some really hard times, and then we moved to Peoria, and then... Boom, COVID-19 hit. And I could say with full honesty, if you are there, you've been there. In the last season, I've been there too. I've had questions and struggles around sensing the work and the presence of God. And I've always kind of known how to get myself in a place and I've kind of known the habits and the environments that I would need to be in order to kind of hear from God. I, I grew up in Colorado and like our family business was outfitting. I was uh, working at campgrounds. Even one summer worked for an organization where we took kids backpacking and we took them uh, whitewater rafting and rock climbing. 
And I always knew that God used certain environments of nature to speak to me and work in my heart. And I also knew my rhythm and I knew kind of where I needed to place myself to hear from God and to sense him. But maybe you're sensing what I've kind of felt. And that's that when the pandemic hit, it's kind of shaken up some of those habits some of the things where maybe we have been used to hearing from God. And I find myself asking God, God, teach me new ways to see you. As a God who brings chaos and orders it and makes all things new, God, do something new. And at times he has. I mean, I, I felt the loving presence of God through my wife. I've seen the joy of the Lord in my children. I've experienced the grace and healing presence of God at times through relationships that have just been built in the little time that I have been here at Life Church and in Peoria. In this season, I will say this though, I have felt that I have at times been on the receiving end of experiencing God through the presence of his image bearers through other people. Maybe you are in a place where that is what you need. I know that it's hard for some of us who are wired to serve and give and serve and give to, to embrace and receive grace and love from someone else. It's awkward sometimes when we're wired to just give and give and serve. Sometimes I say it's like receiving an awkward hug at an awkward angle that you just kind of have to let go and let it happen. But I ask that you let go and that you receive it from others if it's extended. Embrace it. Let God's presence be with you in your chaos through his image bearers. Maybe this is why you're in a watch group, maybe, in this season. Maybe it's because of isolation and loneliness. God is going to use the 8 to 12 people around you to do something new in your heart and in your life. I want us to understand, yes, we can know this as we look out at creation. And we can know this as we look at scripture, but we could also know this as we see the healing power of other people in the image of God, that God is king, he is in charge, and he might want to make his presence known in a way that you don't expect, maybe even this morning. As I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a song that I remember learning as a kid. It's called, This Is My Father's World. I want to share with you the last verse of this song. It says this, This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrongs seem often so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king let the heavens ring and maybe it's through other people and the image bearers of other people. God reigns, let the earth be glad.
Well, David's gonna come back and he's gonna sing this song. And I don't wanna give you specific instructions, really, because like I said earlier, I believe that our hearts might be in different places right now. We might be thinking and experiencing and maybe our fears are at different levels. And so I don't wanna necessarily dictate to you. But I, I wanna ask you to respond and to act and to sit and be present in a way that is reflective of your heart. So maybe it means that you sing along with them. Maybe it means that you just close your eyes and you pray or you let the words wash over you. But I wanna ask that in whatever you are, that you open your heart for God to do something new in the midst of whatever chaos is around you or in you. And maybe it'll open you up so that God can move and order and do something new if you're part of a Zoom discussion or you're part of a watch group after the service is over. Maybe open your heart to what God might wanna do through those moments.